Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. The 10,000, 20,000 cancellation, I don't think is going to happen. And and that's just because, you know, you've got to be realistic about the current composition of the Supreme Court and where they're probably going to fall. Hey, friend, it's Shauna. You're listening to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. If you've got student loans and you're wondering about the fate of this seemingly forever talked about loan forgiveness, Travis Hornsby, founder of Student Loan Planner, has all the info you need to know. And believe me, it is pretty juicy. So let's start talking. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. All right, listening to that clip, I think I just actually felt your heart sink because I know what it means to get rid of $10,000 or more of student loan debt. Honestly, I'm still paying off my last 
kind of graduate loan, and it would feel like very sweet, very sweet relief to get some of that debt wiped away. But as soon as this was talked about, this idea of student loan forgiveness, I just knew there was going to be a ton of lawsuits that were going to come flying in, and there have been. Here we are. We're at that place. So it's now, it's up to the Supreme Court in June, in June, that's right around the corner, to decide kind of how these cards will fall on student loan forgiveness. But before you're ready to give up hope, Travis believes that what is coming post-forgiveness ruling in terms of new payment options and a bevy of other student loan plans could actually be more financially interesting to you than student loan forgiveness. So don't hit the panic button yet, my friend. Travis is the expert. This is what he does all day long. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. And I'm going to say it now. You're going to want to send this one to all of your friends that have student loan debt because this information is absolutely golden. They're just going to thank you later. Maybe they'll buy you a drink or owe you a meal, whatever. They're going to owe you. (laughs) All right, let's start talking. We've got a lot to talk about. (laughs) There's a lot going on in in student loans. And I think, you know, everyone listening, they're really holding their breath as to what's going to happen next. This is a real kind of pivotal year, especially for student loan forgiveness. So what I know is that, you know, in August, the White House announced this relief program up to $20,000 of student loan forgiveness for federal loans. Somewhere around like 26 million people applied for this. And then, of course, all the court cases came. And it's just been hung up ever since. It's it's gone to the Supreme Court. And we're kind of hanging in this limbo until June to to figure out what's going to happen. You're on the forefront of student loans every day. This is the business. This is what you talk about. You have your own podcast, Student Loan loan Planner podcast. So, you know, tell me what's going on? I mean, is student loan forgiveness, is this happening? If it's not happening, like where are we at? Um, the 10,000, 20,000 cancellation, I don't think is going to happen. And, and that's just because, you know, you got to be realistic about the current composition of the Supreme court and where they're probably going to fall. So, you know, you've got, it seems like at least five justices that are opposed to the cancellation. They asked very critical questions. The only justice on the conservative side that seemed to be skeptical uh, as to whether or not cancellation could happen was uh, Amy Coney Barrett. And she brought up just question of standing, whether or not one of the servicers that's involved in the lawsuit is allowed to sue. So we do think that it'll probably result in the uh, case being struck down. Uh, and then, you know, we'll have to see what happens after that. We've got some thoughts though. Okay. Great. Okay. So tell tell me what happens. Let's let's just say that it gets struck down. Like is, is hope lost for us or where, where do we go from there? <laughs> Well, it depends on on who you're talking about. Um, so I think that you've got uh, you you know if you're if, got, if you've got ten thousand dollars of debt and you did not finish your degree, uh, then I think that you're going to be having a hard time uh, because you're not going to get a whole lot of relief. What's coming next if this doesn't go through? If you have a graduate degree or you have thirty or forty thousand of debt, then I think you are in great shape after the cancellation decision because of what's coming next, which is the new repay plan. So this is a new income-based repayment plan, and it is extremely generous. So if you have student debt of any size, you probably will benefit from this plan, and you'll probably see your payments drastically cut down. And you know, a lot of people will get a lot more in savings from this new income-based plan than they would with a cancellation. So that's a really, really oh yeah, so that's a really big deal. So so if you if you think about the reason why a a family of um, three would probably get something like maybe 56,000 of income before they have to pay anything. So if you think about that, that's a pretty big deduction. You know, a lot of people make 60, 70,000. So if you get 56,000 of income that you don't have to pay anything on with this new plan, a lot of people are going to pay nothing, right? So if you're paying nothing, what does that mean? Well, this new plan is going to subsidize all the interest too uh, that your required payment doesn't cover. So if you make, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So if you got a couple kids, you make 50,000, this new plan you know, say you've got twenty or thirty thousand of loans, you're going to pay zero, and you'll have zero interest accrual. And after twenty or twenty-five years, it'll be forgiven. So, for a lot of people, that's better. So, is this um, like an either-or? Is it we get the student loan forgiveness, or we get this new repay plan? No, you're going to get both. So, or you're going to get the repay plan, right? So, if you don't get cancellation, okay. you're going to get the repay plan. 
And that's a that's a really big deal. They're modifying the existing version of this plan. So people that are on an income-based plan already or were before the pandemic, in most cases, people will get enrolled in this plan automatically. So a lot of people won't even have to do anything to get access to it. Uh, there are some extra complications with this plan, though, because they're making it so generous, a lot of people will need to file their taxes separately if they're married. And the reason for that is if you're married, you have to include your spouse's income in the payment unless you file separately. <laughs> Right now, and if you both have debt, this doesn't really matter. If you both have debt, then they'll just take it and mix it up based off of, you know, a little bit towards this person's, a little bit towards that person's. But if only one of you has debt, you really might want to file separately. In fact, also, if you have a lot of children, you might want to file separately because of how they're going to count family size. So say you've got a family size of five, you know, you might get 100,000 of protected income in that case. And if you file a joint, you only get that 100,000 that you can write off. But if you file separate, each of you, maybe you both get 100000 that you could not have to pay anything on until they take 10% or 5% or whatever it is. So people really don't understand how generous this plan is. I think most people that do are in the like the policy wonk, like, you know, think tank kind of world. It hasn't. Right, right. And, a, and a lot of people are just saying, well, I'm not, I, don't bother me about this plan until it's a real thing, right? Like, so I, don't, don't talk to me about it until I can actually sign up for it. Like, that's a lot of people's view. Um, but we haven't seen any lawsuits about this. And so since we haven't, you know, we've seen some bills that have tried to block it. But if if the bills are not having any chance of success because they're sort of partisan bills in the House, it's probably going to go through. And and uh, and that's only one of the things that will happen after the Supreme Court case. The other big one is uh, the ID, income-based account adjustment, which is also a huge deal. All right. So before we get to the income-based I just want to back up for a second. And I mean, this is just completely conjecturing, but, you know, in your, in your opinion, and you know, you're in this world all day long, do you think this was like the ultimate plan that we would maybe get to, we would get to kind of one of these new repayment plans is really better for, for so many people. I think that the people that, um, on the, I'll I'll say this on on the progressive side of the student loan wonk world, if that's the thing, uh, those people are playing three dimensional chess. They think years ahead, they know what their desired outcome is, and they're very, very sharp at what they do. And so, you know, a lot of people think, um, you know, oh, if we lose cancellation, all is lost. I mean, honestly, sometimes I wonder if the cancellation was just sort of like this big, um, you know, distraction, you know, in other words, you know, you put forward something that's extremely generous that, you know, is going to get political attacks to try to protect the other stuff you're doing from not getting attacked, mm. right? I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not sure if that's what they did. I I think they also legitimately believe in the in the the legality of the cancellation and want it to happen. So I'm not saying that they, you know, did it just because of trying to do these other things, but I think that they thought through this pretty carefully and thought, well, you know, if we don't do cancellation, then other these other things might draw attention. <laughs> so so let's do everything and just sort of c- confuse everybody. Um, I mean, and, and, and it worked. I mean, the, the, the cancellation drew legal opposition that are, that was very, very organized, right? The income-based account adjustment, the new, the new repay plan, um, the PSLF waiver, uh, a lot of these other programs that they came out with basically drew little to no serious legal opposition. And it's a real credit to the people that designed the policies in terms of, uh, if you benefited from them. Um, so the IDR account adjustment is, is as big a deal as this new income-based plan, though. And I think also people don't know about that. So what do you think is at the, at the core of the opposition? I mean, does it just come down to, to pure politics and whatever side you were on? Um, or was there actual like valid arguments? So I think that the, the issue with all these plans is it benefits student loan borrowers specifically. So if you think about you know something like Social Security, it's going to benefit everybody unless you die before Social Security, Right. Um, but something like student loan, you know, student loan relief is literally only impacting you if you have student loans. Now you might say, well, maybe it benefits the broader economy, right? I think that's what the people who propo- propose these policies would say, and that might be true. You know, people, student loan borrowers, get extra money in their pockets. They can go buy houses, they can go buy cars, they can spend money, and that's good for everybody. Uh, the problem there would be that if that were to cause inflation, and that I think is the big discussion as to whether or not this is a good policy is in a period where we already have too much demand in the economy and the Federal Reserve is trying to raise interest rates to fight inflation, the fear is, is if you give a lot of relief to a 
uh, particular class of people uh, that might not need it as much as people who have you know very little to no education, then will that spark inflation and hurt the lower income individuals in the economy? So I think it's a, it's a pretty complicated answer because it's really benefiting like student. If you're a student loan borrower in general, you're in the top half of society's income strata, right? Not not always. But in general, like a student loan borrower is going to be more advantaged on average than a non-student loan borrower uh, because that person maybe didn't go to college. Uh, and, and and some of them did, right? So, so you might say like student loan borrowers are like in the top 50 percentile to like the top 10 percentile of the income distribution. Like if you're, you know, top 10 percent income, you probably didn't have to take out student loans maybe, or maybe you've already paid them off pretty quickly, right? So it's, it's kind of an interesting um, question. Because it's like, does that group of people deserve that broad relief? I don't know. You know, middle class families really benefit and upper middle class families benefit a lot from the mortgage interest deduction. So there's plenty of other policies that really benefit one category of people, you know, in society that we allow. And so, you know, student loan borrowers, I think, and their advocates are just advocating for, for that group. Yeah, it's like it it feels like there are so many onion layers to this and it's, you know, impossible to peel them all back. And I think it's also really confusing for those out there that have student loans. You know, all we've heard is the student loan forgiveness program. And, you know, and now all we hear is that it's in limbo and we don't know so much about the other options that are that are available to us. Like you just said, I mean, there's other options that might be even more beneficial to us. But it just feels like we don't we don't get filtered that information. I mean, one of the reasons you're here, obviously, is is to do this and educate the listeners as well. But you know, I'm I'm wondering if like we took just this scenario. Let's say somebody's listening, and let's say they have, um, I don't know. I'm just pulling a number out of my hat. Let's say they have like sixty thousand dollars in student loan debt, and even if the cancellation went through, and you know, twenty thousand dollars got wiped away, you know, we'd still be looking at forty some odd thousand dollars, you know, in student loan debt they would have. Where do they go from there? Like, what are what are some of these new programs? And like, can you walk us through like how those might be beneficial? Definitely. I mean, I think I think that the biggest opportunity like that I know of is just this this amazing income driven um, account adjustment going on right now. So this is something that if you have payments of any kind of any sort of repayment plan at all, if you've got a long term forbearance, long term deferment, you can actually get all that credited towards a forgiveness plan now. That's a very unusual thing. Usually you have to be on an income-based repayment plan for a certain number of years. Got to be on the right kind of plan. But right now they're counting all that. And the way they're doing it is in most cases telling people to consolidate with the government. So they're saying if you consolidate all of your loans, they'll apply all the credit you've got on at least the loan with the most number of payments on that new consolidated loan. That's usually not the case. It usually resets itself to nothing. But when when during this like kind of limited time window, they're applying all that credit onto the new consolidation loan. So here's an example. Like let's say you graduated college in 2002 and you took out some undergrad loans, then maybe took out some, um, some, some grad loans and maybe worked for a little bit and then took out a little more grad loans. You've got a bunch of mixed numbers of payments on your loans. Um, and so usually you'd have to pay for 25 years on whatever the newest loan is. But what they're doing right now is allowing you to add all those loans together and take those undergrad loans that are really old and put all that credit onto the new consolidated loan. And in that case, you might be only, if you started in 2002, you might have 20 years or 15 years or 17 years on your, your loans. And you might only have, you know, two, three, five, 10 years left to go. And that's a real game changer because it takes somebody that was going to have to pay for decades and makes it so they only have to pay for a few years. Or maybe let's say you took out loans, you graduated in 1998. And let's say you made a bunch of bad, bad financial cho- choices or decisions. <laughs> you know, maybe you went through some some hard times in 2008, and so you deferred and you forbeared, uh, and you finally started making payments again, but kind of sporadically. So if you've been in and out of repayment for 20 or 25 years, you might be able to consolidate everything together and be totally done, which is really amazing because you know income based repayment really only came out in 2010. So. A lot of folks just really struggle with the negatively amortizing interest and their balances have grown and grown and grown. And this is the administration's attempt to try to provide relief to that group of people. So if I had to guess, there's probably about 4 million people that could have their loans completely wiped away if they only knew to consolidate. So that's a really amazing opportunity. You know, a lot of people have been in repayment a long time 
4 million could have it wiped away completely, maybe something like 10 to 15 million people could get years of extra credit added to their count so that they would save, you know, having to pay those 10% of income payments for maybe several years, which you're really talking about, you know, five or six figures of savings in a lot of cases. Jumping in for a quick break for our episode sponsors. On the flip side, Travis is going to share the questions you need to ask your payment servicer to make sure you are on the best plan possible. So stay tuned. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. 
And what if you've already consolidated loans? Like, what if you consolidated before all of this happened? What what sort of options do you have available? You know, in that scenario, it's actually okay. You can pretty much just wait. So if you just need to wait a little bit, that's 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 okay. Um, you know, so like maybe if you've already consolidated, you don't have to do anything to get this account adjustment. If anything, you might want to just double check that you um, you know that that you're gonna you know what credit you're entitled to. If that makes any sense. So what sort of questions should we be asking our loan servicer? Uh, you know, because obviously they're the ones that are hopefully going to disseminate some of the information. They're going to have some of these numbers for us. You know, what should we be asking? And should we be, should we be calling them? Should we be chatting them? Like, wh- what's the best way to, to, to get, to make sure we're on the right plan? Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> I would just ask what payment plan am I on right now? Like, what am I signed up for currently? Am I on the pay as you plan? Am I on the revised pay as you plan? Am I on no plan at all? What's my scheduled monthly payment when payments start again? So you could find that information out. Maybe it's 400 a month. Um, you could ask, when is my, uh, when do I have to recertify? Like what's my normal anniversary date for recertifying? That'll tell you when you'll have to give them your income information next. Uh, most people are not going to have to recertify until 2024 or even 2025 based off the Biden administration's rules. So that's pretty generous uh, as well. So I think that the the big thing is just knowing how to plan. I think a lot of people don't know how to plan because we've had, you know, the, the, well, the Trump administration extended loan pause for like, I think two or three times. Biden administration has done it seven times. And, and of those seven times, three of those were described publicly as the quote unquote final extension. So right. regardless if you are, you know, if you are frustrated or if you're extremely happy, right? I think that's fair to say that their uh, their credibility's blown a little bit in terms of when is this actually going to be due? When do I actually have to start dealing with this? And uh, and the you know the folks now are saying that this is the last pause, but you know what? If the Supreme Court overturns cancellation, uh, I actually think they'll probably try to extend it again, just because that's what they do every single time. So why would this be different? And and that's why we saw another lawsuit filed uh, where a private lender, SoFi, sued to end the pause. Yes. And and that's another big thing to wait on and see what happens with. And we can talk about that if you think that's relevant. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love for you to talk about that because I think, you know, certainly, um, you know, SoFi in the, in the personal finance space has kind of been a leader. They've, you know, they've, they have stadiums, they have yeah. um, commercials, a lot of people know about them. And there's a lot of you know, talk and chatter about, you know, don't use SoFi products now and, you know, stay away from them and largely because of, uh, you know, this lawsuit they filed. So I think, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Well, they might not have stadiums for much longer if the pause keeps going on. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that, you know, if you think about the reality of the pause, right, this was not supposed to be policy. This was supposed to be an emergency thing that was supposed to benefit borrowers to get people back on their feet with the pandemic. And the reason it's lasted so long is because nobody wants to be the bad guy and turn it on again. Like politicians very much don't like taking money away from people because uh, it costs them votes, right? Um, I mean, that's why Trump didn't want to turn it on. I don't think that he ideologically cares about student loan borrowers necessarily. Uh, right. You know, I mean, but I, but I think that he was looking at an election. And bills were supposed to go out literally in September or October of a presidential election. And he just said, I don't care if it's legal. I'm just going to extend the pause and tell people they don't have to make payments. Um, and then Biden won the election. And I think ideologically did not want to collect par- payments from borrowers, right? I think that was his just actual view was that the economy needed that relief and um, got to the point where it was about, he extended it for about a year. They tried to collect payments in January 2022. But what happened is this Build Back Better failed. And there was a huge backlash among progressives where they needed a sacrificial lamb to appease very angry, frustrated, you know, people that elected President Biden for this signature legislation that failed. And student loans was like the one thing he could do an executive order on. And so <laughs> he did it because that's what they needed to do. And then they were gonna they were gonna restart it again in August. Uh, and then the cancellation stuff that was building and there was sort of talk about maybe we don't have Biden be the nominee for next round, right? There was discussion about, you know, the midterms are going to go terribly. 
and it's going to be Biden's fault and we need to get Gavin Newsom to run, right? And this might be too deep, but I think it's helpful for people to hear the history of it, right? And then like, so they did cancellation in August of 2022, very clearly something that was designed to line up with the midterm election, right? And then the midterms went better than expected. And then, you know, Biden's very clearly the nominee for 2024 uh, based off of the midterms going better than expected and him listening to the 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 sort of the center of his party, right? Um, and a lot of it too, in the midterms, young voters turned out in good numbers and people, some people attribute that to the student loan cancellation announcement. And, um, and so each time they're supposed to restart payments, that was a more important sort of political imperative on both administrations. Right. And so I think that this, at this point, it's sort of like, if, if he turns it on, he wants to be able to blame someone. And this would be true, I think for, for either party, really, unless you're, you've got somebody who's really conservative ideologically right so i think i think president biden needs to be able to blame someone and then if the if the supreme court shuts him out of all cancellation completely then he doesn't really have much of a route left you know um and i think that what'll happen is the supreme court will close one door and there'll still be another door they could try and so there would be no reason why he wouldn't try to cancel debt via the higher education act and then if they do that they'll probably extend the pause and if they extend the pause, they're going to come up with a reason why they can't turn it on before a presidential election because it's only you know a year away, uh, a little more than a year away, right? So that's why SoFi sued because SoFi looked at that and they thought, well, Common Bond already went out of business, went bankrupt, and you know obviously like First Republic Bank and uh, you know um, Silicon Valley Bank have failed, and you know <laughs> it, we're in a high interest rate environment, and so you know you're, you're not getting like huge valuations for stocks anymore. And I think SoFi stocks went down ninety percent or something like that. So, wow. you know, so I, at some point you have to say, I could sue and look really bad to a lot of people and piss a lot of people off, um, and uh, stay in business possibly, or I could not sue, go out of business, lay off all of our employees, file for bankruptcy, and and be and be done. And I think that I think it's that simple. I think SoFi leadership looked at the analysis and said, well, do we want to stay in business or do we not want to stay in business? And, you know, they're acting on what they view as their own interests and their interests to shareholders, which they're supposed to as a publicly traded company act on. Um, so that's what's going on behind the scenes. The The thing that borrowers should be aware of is like, so if I could have sued in the pause immediately, but they didn't, right? So they didn't sue to end it immediately. Why is that? They don't want to take the brand hit any more than they have to. Right. So what they what they're arguing is, well, we're just trying to make sure that the third time Biden has said this is the final pause, that he actually means it, <laughs> you know, which no one knows. Yeah, which no one knows. So that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure this is the final pause that it ends in September, that he doesn't have the option to do another one. And they're slow walking this lawsuit through the courts so that it doesn't turn the loans on sooner than people expect it. So that's what's going on. And I do think that's probably going to be successful because if they, if they shoot down the, the cancellation, the same Supreme Court's probably going to be interested in ending the pause as well. So I think that's kind of what's going on, why people need to be expected to make payments in the fall. It's a long-winded answer, right? But that's, that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes. It's it's no it's it's really fascinating because like I say you know we, we you know if if all we hear about student loan forgiveness is from the news or the headlines or you know we're getting just like a very small chunk of the actual information of of really kind of what's going on behind the scenes it takes someone like yourself that's really in there you know digging around what if, what if we're listening and we and we have a, like a private student loan with SoFi should we be worried should we be switching do we care I don't I don't I don't think you care I mean. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to say it that in, in a mean way or anything, but I think it's, um, I think it's kind of like, I don't know if, if somebody did something that you didn't agree with, like, I don't know, like, uh, like, I don't know, Tesla comes out with some ad in favor of, uh, killing trees or something. And you're really frustrated with that. Well, if you got the best price for the car you like to drive from them, you'll, you'll probably tolerate it. Right. So I think a lot of people have loans that they refinanced with low interest rates that are like two, 3% with SoFi, you know, those po- folks can be pretty frustrated, but ultimately it, well, their, their rate is, is the lowest they could get in a high interest rate environment. Right. Um, right. I, I think that, you know, I don't know. I think people will have to decide for themselves what, what, what's really important to them and what's, what's not. Um, you know, some people certainly will want to make sure that their, um, business is lined up with their values and other people will just want to get the best price for something. So, 
we've got these new payment plans kind of on the horizon here. What happens if we go into 2024 and there's a new president? Does that change the landscape of these plans or these plans pretty much be set in stone? That's a great question. Uh, the reality is, is uh, if you modify an existing plan, then, then somebody else could in the future, right? So that's our interpretation is that a future president could make the terms less generous. The only catch is somebody could maybe sue and say, you know, I was promised uh, this really generous plan and uh, this administration took away benefits from me. So I'm going to sue to block it. That's possible. Um, but the other thing that matters is the there's a lot of stuff that's written into like the actual law. Like, so this is an executive order and, you know, it, it, it does get added to the contracts and everything. But if, if this were to be taken away, there's still income-based repayment, which income-based repayment is actually in the law and it can't be taken away without 60 senators voting against it. So that's never going to happen. So I think that most people just can be real relaxed. Like if you borrowed after 2014 for the first time, you're real protected. There's not much they can do to you. If you uh, took out loans before 2014, there's some things they can do to you, but it's not terrible. <laughs> I like that news. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not going to be terrible. So, you know, I, I want to back up a little bit because, you know, we're talking about student loans. We're talking about forgiveness. Obviously, we know there's um, there's a huge problem that exists at the core, right? The enormous cost to, to go to college. And, you know, I'm wondering from your point of view, you know, is there is there going to be any relief to that? I mean, is that ever going to change? Because I feel like, you know, I have so many of my friends that are that are having kids that are, you know, babies and like thinking about the cost of college of when, you know, they get to be 18. I mean, and it's such a big number. You can't even fathom, like, how is that even possible? So, you know, is this ever going to change or is this just a problem that's going to continue to, to go on? I think that America likes to do things in a backwards way. <laughs> like we don't, <laughs> we don't like to just admit like, yeah, this is the way we're doing it. We need to fix, make it better or whatever. Right. Like, um, it's kind of like, I don't know, a good, I guess a good analogy is like, you know, we we're trying to solve a, like an access and equity issue for higher education where, you know, back in the sixties, right? Like if you wanted to be a surgeon, like, unless you're kind of like a white guy from wealthy family, you know, it's kind of hard. Right. And so we made federally insured loans to make sure more people from more diverse backgrounds could go to college. Good thing. Um, the issue is, is like, we had a hard time figuring out what to do and people had bad outcomes. Uh, it's not sort of politically popular to just like go shut down a bunch of universities because those universities employ people in districts, right? And those account for jobs. And so, you know, we couldn't really figure out what do we do with these folks that default. Um, and so what we decided to do was, oh, income-based repayment. And then the universities lobbied for no regulation and no limits on what they could charge. So if you go to a graduate school, there's there's no caps in borrowing. You can take out six hundred thousand dollars for a degree, and that's and they'll give it to you for federal federal loans for the whole thing. Um, so for grad school, there's like there's no incentive to to restrict cost, right? You can pay ten percent of your income, and it's about to be even better that new repay plan we talked about. So so why would I not borrow the maximum? There's no reason I wouldn't. And, um, and so that's what people are doing. And so grad school costs are exploding. Now, the interesting thing is for undergrads, undergrad borrowing has a cap. You can't take out more than a few thousand a year if your parents are claiming you or about 10,000 a year if you're not being claimed by your parents. There's a big loophole there with Parent Plus. So Parent Plus loans, you can take out to the cost of attendance. Now, Parent Plus loans historically have not been as generous. You, you can't as easily pay those back based on your income. But if you know the full loopholes, you can. So if you know the full loopholes, you can consolidate the loans in multiple stages to get access to these plans that are 10% of your income. And so then I'm a maybe a, a typical middle-class couple. Maybe my income is you know sixty to 80000 a year each. What you could do is take out loans in one person's name and take the whole thing out in one person's name, file separately for taxes, and pay maybe $50 to $100 a month. And then you retire and pay even less. And then you do that for 25 years and the balance is forgiven at the end. So we actually have a lot of clients that are people who borrowed for two, three, four, five children that are essentially in a backwards way getting it forgiven almost entirely. Like, so in other words, the, the government is almost paying for all their kids to go to college almost for free because they're taking advantage of these loopholes in the Parent Plus system. 
And if you have that loophole available, it's going to push up costs because people can take out, you know, up to the cost of attendance, which is just a number the colleges come up with. So the only way you'd restrict costs is if there was pushback on price. And if you make it unlimited loans available with no regulation, no one's going to push back on price. Right now, the, the only real discounting you see happen is at the undergrad level. And that's mostly because people don't understand how to maximize the parent plus loopholes. If people understood that, then there would be no like no pushback on price probably. Hang tight, just a quick break for our sponsors. When we come back, Travis is sharing two ways to pay off your student loans, including some interesting loopholes. And at the end of the episode, he's actually offering 100 bucks off the student loan planner consult service just for being a listener of the show. So stay tuned for more. Well, I mean, it's, 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 Gosh, it's just like so fascinating. And, you know, when I was uh, coming up with questions that I want to talk about on your website, you say that there, there are two approaches to paying off student loans, right? So we pay them off as fast as possible. You say like our hair is on fire, right? We just get those suckers paid off. But the second way, which we're talking about kind of here is pay as little as possible and use every trick in the book to maximize the amount of your forgiveness you receive. And you say, you know, choosing the wrong approach could cost you a lot of money. So, you know, what do we need to, what do we need to do if, um, you know, for kids getting ready to go to school or we're sort of planning for them to go to school, or even if we're just in the first bit of our, of our playoff, how do we figure out what the, what the right stuff is for us? I mean, I would just say, what do you, what do you need? Like, what do you need to do? Um, because if you have a $5 million net worth, you probably don't want to mess around with loopholes and tricks to do income based for decades, right? Like nobody loves this idea, but the the reality is is this idea could be much better than the alternative. So if you've got somebody that owes twice as much uh, debt as their income, okay, you could put off buying a house, put off buying kids or put, buying kids. Oops. I've got, I've got two kids. <laughs> I've got two kids that I I I It's basically that, right? Paid I paid for my two kids with blood, sweat and tears, you know. Um, I'm just kidding, but you know, to, to, you know, you've got, you're putting off having kids is what I meant to say. Um, they've sleep deprived me. So that's why I use the wrong word. Um, but, uh, you know, put, put off bu- buying a house, getting married, all these big life events. So you can pay 5,000 a month on your loans for five years. Right. And feel like you're only making progress towards this debt attached to your name. Right. So that's, that's an option. Or you could pay 10% of your income, save for retirement to lower your taxable income, to pay even less towards your student loans. And you know, pay as little as possible. So the best decision is just what the math suggests. Um, if you can get out of debt really quickly, and that's the best thing for your family, then yeah, do that. But if you can get forgiveness and have money available to do other things, you know, that's a better a better choice. Um, that's for the the people looking at their own loans. If you're thinking about it from your kids' perspective, like I've got kids going to college, I've got some kids in high school or middle school. What do I do there? Um, I'll give a great example, which was this. Uh, widow that I talked to, she's got a mid six figure balance that needs to last her uh, into retirement for the most part. And, you know, and, and she could empty most of that to send her kids to college debt free. Um, or she could take out a bunch of parent plus loans and use this loophole. So when you look at the math, the math is she could retire at a normal age if she takes out parent plus and does the strategic loophole and if she does the, I'm going to cash out most of my savings to pay for my kids' college so they don't have to have debt, then she's going to have to work for many extra years uh, and delay retirement significantly. So it's not the decision between being debt-free and not being debt-free for her. It's a decision between retiring at a reasonable age because of the hand she was dealt in life and not retiring at a reasonable age just so that she can feel better about, you know, quote unquote, doing the right thing. Well, the reality is, is like, we don't come up with the rules, right? The Government comes up with the rules, and it's up to us whether or not we decide to use them as they're written. So that's that's the way that I that I look at it. Is you know you might not agree with the tax code as a CPA, but the CPA's job is not to agree with the tax code. It's to take advantage of it to to the legal and ethical extent you can for your clients. And do you find a lot of people when you when you talk to them, and you're working with them on a student loan strategy? Do you find like this mindset piece kind of comes up a lot where people get stuck and they're like, "Well, I went to school, like it's it's my obligation to pay them back, or to suffer to pay them back, or to you know not be able to achieve my other money goals in this process." Uh, I would say there's real trauma in this space. So you know, psychological trauma, emotional trauma. 
um, we, we, we hear it a lot of times from people, right? Like it's almost like, I don't know what the, what the equivalent would be. Um, I'm going to guess that like, you know, probably like family lawyers that are dealing with like very bitter custody disputes or something, you know, probably it's a similar category in some cases, just because people bring all of this like real genuine hurt to the, to the situation. And we're trying to be technical about it sometimes. And we have to slow ourselves down and just let people talk sometimes because there's real pain and, you know, people take out debt. They think they're going to be able to pay it back. Right. In many cases, their schools lied to them and said, you know, this is the best time ever to be a fill in the blank, you know, oh, you're going to pay this back in no time. You know, meanwhile, there was nothing backing that up. You know, the person saying that was just told to say it, you know, and maybe, maybe the school is not even in existence anymore. Or if it is, maybe they, you know, continue to spout nonsense. Right. And so maybe people did the wrong thing. They tried to pay their loans off, but they weren't paying enough to make a difference in the interest and their, their balance is ballooned. And so they're just so angry, so frustrated. Why haven't I made more progress? So, so I guess we, we face that a lot um, with clients, but the good news is, is like once people have, have vented and have expressed the frustration and they're at the point of like, oh, I want to tackle this, then you can bring out all the loopholes. Right. And I think that's the the thing that's the most rewarding is just taking taking somebody's pain and just letting them vocalize that if they have that, and then saying okay, how do we move forward to the place you want to be? That's what's really exciting is okay we can take advantage of this IDR account adjustment we can take advantage of this new plan we can file separately for taxes we can de- strategically use forbearance maybe uh, in some cases the the smart move is go back to school and get another degree <laughs> that's 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 not talked about like if you're a chiropractor and you regret getting a chiropractic degree. Well, guess what? You could go borrow another 200000 and become a nurse practitioner and the payment is still 10% of your income and that's totally fine. So I, I, the thing I love about student loans is there's never ever a case that I've ever seen out of doing thousands of them that, uh, that I couldn't fix. Now, sometimes the fix is not the most pleasant thing in the world. You might have to not go on a certain vacation. You might have to, you know, look at restructuring some of your debt by like selling a house or selling a car uh, not, not usually by the way, but, um, but the thing is it's always fixable. Whereas other things in the medical world or, uh, other things might not be fixable. So that's what I love about it. And and what happens, I know there aren't a whole lot of options, but what if we're listening and we have private student loans, is there anything we can do or are we just, we're just stuck in whatever those terms are for repayment? Yeah, there's a lot you can do. Um, so it depends on what state you live in. If you've been in default for a long time, you might be able to get it discharged. That's something that needs a student loan attorney. If you just type in student loan attorney in Google, you'll find someone. Uh, generally speaking, I wouldn't recommend that because usually what happens is you have not defaulted yet or you have a co-signer on the loan. And if you try to default, it'll be a really long-term, painful, credit-destroying experience. So if it's a modest amount of debt, maybe maybe you have some home equity that you could do a home equity loan and, and pay off because maybe that's a better way to structure it. Or maybe you have um, there's you know a lot of different things you could do, right? You could uh, going back to earlier, sell some assets or get rid of some assets, take some of the cash savings to pay off the private loans. Maybe you could put your federal loans in forbearance and devote all your payments towards your private loans to get rid of those, so that you can then turn back to your federal loans, which are income based, and not have to worry about them. Um, maybe you can pause your double payments you're making towards your mortgage, pay the minimum on your mortgage to tackle your private loans, which is better because those private loans can't be gotten rid of uh, in bankruptcy usually. So I think with the private loans, usually the the solution is what are you doing? What options have you not considered? What are your what does your current net worth look like? What other debts do you have that could possibly be reprioritized? And and usually there's something that we can do. Not 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 always. And when when the answer is not always. Um, usually there is a capacity to repay, uh, and it's not pleasant sometimes, but, but usually there, there is. And so you look at someone's expenses, you look at the cosigner situation, uh, like one example, I'll give you an example. Somebody had a, a, I think a seven year repayment term and the payments were crushing them, but they could have easily afforded a 20 year repayment term, you know? Mm, So in that, in that case, it was sort of like having a conversation with the cosigner and the borrower, Hey, you're on the hook for this anyway, you're going to get hit with a default on both of your credit reports if you can't afford to pay the seven-year payment. If you co-sign for a 20-year, you're re-amortizing the loan to a much lower payment where this is something this person can handle 
much more easily. And then the next refinance will be taking the cosigner's name off of it and, you know, taking it from a 20 year back to a 10 year when the person's pay down the balance some. So I think it's always fixable. Even if somebody has got a really ugly situation, um, maybe one in a, I would say one in a hundred private student loan borrowers that are having trouble need to do a structured, like, you know, default or strategic default or cons- and you know use an attorney for years to settle it. I think it's it's that few because usually they're fixable with some of those other strategies. I get it. Even mentioning the word student loan debt might just totally freak you out. It can sometimes I think just feel like this really really cruel twist of fate. You were able to get loans to go to school and then you spend the rest of your life trying to pay them off. I mean, how does that even make sense? I think also what Travis shared about the mindset around paying off your student loans is really important. There are ways to move through the system, minimizing your payments if you actually choose to do that. And more than anything, I just, I really want you to have all the info that you need to make smart choices for yourself and to understand the options that you do have, because it is confusing, it's hard to figure out what should I do. So that to me, that is personal power. So if you go to studentloanplanner.com and enter your name and your email, you can get all of these updates that Travis is talking about. And you can also check out the Student Loan Planner podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you have student loan debt and you're like, I just need somebody to hold my hand, I need them to give me guidance on what to do, what plan to be on, how to minimize my payments. You can book one of their consult services. And for being a listener of the show, you can get a hundred bucks off by going to studentloanplanner.com slash ETM. So that's studentloanplanner.com slash ETM. Share this episode right now. I already told you to do it. Share with all your friends who have student loan debt so they can be in the know of what's going on. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you right back here, my friends, in a few days for a brand new episode.